I would imagine that the majority of people only have the crease at Second Chronicles 7.14, which says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Okay, you know that verse? That's in Second Chronicles. Uh, we're going to be turning to chapter 34 and 35 today, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Old Testament book of uh, Chronicles, but it obviously is the second book of Chronicles instead of the first. So you're getting through to some of the latter parts of the historical account. A chronicler is almost like a newspaper. Um, somebody would write down and journal what took place. So if we're at Second Chronicles and there's not a Third Chronicles, we're kind of showing towards the end of the story, or, or as I like to point out, the end of the Old Testament. So let us reverently... Uh, uh, let us attend to the public reading of God's Word. It's inspired and fallible. It's in the originals as it was given. It was and is the Word of God, the only rule of faith and practice for us. Let us uh, read it. Uh, I'm looking at chapter 34, and I'll be reading the first six or seven verses. Josiah, I mentioned him already. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in, in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father, and in the twenty and, and excuse me, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved uh, and the metal images, and they chopped down the altars of the Baals in, the, in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray you'll take this message today and encourage us, even inspire us. I pray that you will prepare us for the Lord's table in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come to the message at the end of the year, what is an appropriate passage? We've just, if you take your bulletin, you can see the, the journey we've just taken uh, on the last five services of Advent. We've gone with the angels from heaven to Nazareth to see Mary the virgin. We've gone with the sages from the east to Jerusalem, and they were coming to find the one born king. We went with the shepherds over the hilltop. They went from the, from the fields to the little town of Bethlehem. And with the seers from the Old Testament, from the past to the present tense, for Christmas Sunday and on Christmas Eve, the Savior's journey, when he came from eternity past into time, for the purposes of going to Calvary. It was pretty powerful. I want to continue the journey today. And this time I'm talking about our journey. And it's our journey from darkness into the light. It is our journey to come clean. As we started off, as we ended the last service, I had this little candle here. 
And I was going to go ahead and show you a mixed illustration. Um, the illustration on Christmas Eve, we came over to the Christ candle, and we lit the candle up and let it shine. And as the room was filled, we had a lot of people who had these in front of their faces. And you know what it does to your face from a distance? At least if you're standing up here looking down and looking around, you see everybody's nose. You know, you see everybody's visage. You can see whether they're smiling. You can see whether they're sleeping. Obviously, they're awake if they're holding a candle. But you can see a lot. And the challenge is, is to let your light shine before you finish the verse for me. Before men, that they, may, that they may see your good works and they can glorify God. That they can see God through you. This is what happens to a lot of us, though. You all get to see a lot, don't you? You get to see my bright smile. And this is what happens when we journey from the darkness into the light. I want to challenge you. This whole campaign to come clean in 15 is a campaign that is personal. It is something that I wanted you to go on that journey, not just me. I know when God burdened my heart as we came in from the end of 2014, and there were some miracles there even with finances to get over the half a million dollar mark in giving and all those things. There was a lot of positive in the air. Uh, We were anticipating growth. We were a lot of things. And the Lord put on my heart, come clean in 15. What does that mean? It means that we should let the, sh- let the light so shine. To come out of the shadows into the light. To leave mediocrity behind and come into discipleship. To be able to leave the darkness and stand in God's light. A lot of folks today don't know what it means to come clean. I really appreciated the testimony that Alan just gave. There's a lot of people that live in the shadows There's a lot of people that hide behind their vices. There are a lot of folks who don't want you to know what's going on in their hearts. A lot of times I'll even ask you, how are you doing? And what's the standard answer? Are you doing fine? Larry has taught me this from the moment I came up here about five and a half years ago. He's blessed. And that's a true answer. Because if we're in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We have hope. We have everlasting life. And it's not conditioned upon how we feel or how you feel about us. So when you're challenged to be able to come clean, a lot of us dismissed it or kept it at arm's length. I want to be able to tell you that the encouragement this year was to take off the masks, to stop hiding, even under the guise of privacy. And come into the light to enjoy the sunshine, S-O-N. Why do you want to stay hidden in the dark? As our brother just indicated with the statistics, there are so many things that are weighting us down. And on top of that, once we get caught up in sins and our vices, then we compound it by wanting to keep it private as if we can hide it even from God. Now, is this something new? Of course it's not new. From the Garden of Eden, when God made Adam and Eve, and he made them very well, he said it was very good. They ate the forbidden fruit, and the next thing you know, where was Adam and where was Eve? They weren't down at Motel 6. They were hiding behind the bushes. Already then, they didn't want to come clean. 
And God kind of mocked them in his way of saying, where are you? As if he couldn't see. And that's where a lot of us are deceived. Do you really think that God doesn't know what's going on in your heart? He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. During this year, I've asked that question to a lot of people. What's in your heart? What's going on with you? And you know what it's like even for Christmas, right? When you go ahead and you visit with those people in your family that are of like-minded, like kindred spirit. And those people, you, you are friends with them, you fellowship with them. It's as if you just, you were with them the day before. The fellowship continues on. And then you're with others who you feel that they're 100 or 1,000 or maybe 2,000 miles away. And you just can't wait till that awkwardness is over. When you can say goodbye, it was nice, and it wasn't nice. See, this is one of the challenges of Come Clean in 15. A lot of people look at Christianity, and they say it's so full of phonies. There are so many people that smile on Sunday. They dress up nice. They actually put on their Christian face, and they go forward for a few hours. In fact, some of you that have been looking for new churches, and I hope you found one to stay in, is that when you go to a church, you measure it whether even somebody even notices you. Oh, that church was friendly. They came up and said hi. Some of you are are looking for that community so much. But yet, if you keep your masks, nobody will ever know you. They'll never know your pain and your struggle. As our brother shared... It's fascinating how many people are hurting and they never find relief. Where can you go? Today I want to take you to Josiah and I want to encourage you that this message to come clean, which we started off in January, uh, I'm on to finish in December and it's actually never going to finish. It's the message that keeps on going. It'll be come clean in 16. Okay? But the point that we want to touch on is when you look at Josiah, he is an interesting character. And this is important for us as we come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. Uh, Josiah was a young man, and he grew up in a time that probably parallels ours. If you look at at the culture in which he was growing up, it, it used to be, shall I say, a Christian community. I mean, they had some great historical leaders in their culture. They had some guy named David. They had some guy named Solomon. I mean, and that wasn't that many years before them. I mean, it's just like us when we look back and we see some great characters of the past that we have great respect for. But that wasn't today. And that is the same here. There's a lot of people who lost confidence in the leaders. And they lost confidence in the government. And they lost confidence in the church because they looked around and says, if that's what it is, I don't want it. Josiah comes to the throne in 640 640 B.C. Now, the title of the message is Come Clean in 15, and I'm actually going to take us back to 615 B.C. I want you to go back into a day 615 years before Christ. And that day, it's, it's, uh, to give you perspective, it was in uh, 586 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar came and tore down the church, took all the gold off the walls of the temple, and ushered Daniel and his people into exile. That was only about 25 years later. Wow. 
It was when, when Josiah was killed, and I'll preach about him next week, and we'll talk about Josiah's, the storyline. And you're going to find that when Josiah leaves the scene, it's only about four years till the, till the implosion already starts to take place. But Josiah was a breath of fresh air. So if you'll follow along with me, I want to highlight that the things to come clean. First, it is the, pers- the, the object of coming clean has to do with a personal agency. It starts individually. Secondly, it's, uh, it involves a cultural appraisal. You're going to look around your surroundings. So it's not all about you, but it's about the world in which you are in. And thirdly, it is about an atonement. So I want to talk about your personal your personal reaction, and we're going to find that Josiah sets a wonderful example. Secondly, we're going to look at how Josiah affected, how he let his light shine in his culture. And thirdly, we're going to see that when the Bible was brought to light, how everything changed. So first, as we dive into this, you're going to find that Josiah was a young man. How old was he when he became king? Do you know why he was picked at eight years old? His IQ was off the chart. Did you read about that? Did you know that he was handsome from from when he was five? That's not what the Bible says. You realize why he was put into the throne, why he was ordained as king, crown king at age of eight? Do you know why? Because his dad was killed by a coup. His dad was an evil man. His grandfather was a pretty evil man too, but towards the latter days of his grandfather's day, uh, he came back to God. But his dad, Josiah's dad, was terrible. And they actually, uh, the people around him took him out. And with the absence of the king, they had to pick the king's son, and they took little Josiah and brought him in to be king at the age of eight. In 640, He becomes king. Chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years. That was a good long time. People like this king. He was not like his dad, and there's some differences, and that's why I want to be able to take you on this personal journey, the personal agent. Uh, When you look at the text in 2 Chronicles 3, 1, 2, and 3, you're going to see that the, the coming clean starts inside. If you follow along with the text, you're going to be able to see, uh, and he did, verse 2, what was right in his own eyes, right? This is really fascinating. This is why Josiah is so unique. There are so many bad kings. In fact, in the northern kingdom, they were all bad. In the southern kingdom, it was just over 50% bad. But Josiah is one that stands above all of them. All of them from that southern kingdom. Because he did what was right, not in his own eyes, but in the eyes of the Lord. And the scripture goes on to say, he followed the path of David, his father. He did not turn to the right side or to the left side. He stayed true to the path. Wherewithal shall a young man make his way pure? Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And if you want to take Proverbs, which would be a great-great-grandfather of his, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And he says, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge God, he'll make your path clear. He'll direct your path. Josiah's path is clear. The reform originated within this personal agency. 
He was above reproach. He was seasoned in the faith. It's pretty fascinating when you look here. Josiah's life. When, when uh, Paul describes, as I've already said at the offering, that when we become Christians, our lives ought to be pure, holy and acceptable, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is reasonable in light of what God has done to purge us from our sin. So when you look at, at Josiah's life, it's pretty fascinating. A pathway is cleared. And when you read through it, you can even see all the activities in verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to do more. Now, I want you to be able to get a clue. During these teenage years, from when he's eight to all the way up to 16 to all, all the way up to 20, he is still growing. But the one thing that he keeps doing in his life, he's letting his light shine. And people are seeing that he is following whose path? He's following God's path. I want to encourage you, follow God's path. Whenever you're tempted to come at a, at a fork in the road to go to the path that's the wrong one, don't take it. Now, pastor, you might say, you might come to me and say, pastor, what one do you take? I always say, don't take the wrong one. There's probably several right ones. How do I know what's right versus wrong? Well, if it's according to God's word, that's one way of telling. Another is to pray through it. But there's some obvious things that you don't want to do things that you know are wrong. When you've been tempted, you don't go that way just because you're tempted. You don't go that way because it's a temptation. You go into the path of righteousness where our shepherd leads us. Now, that's the first point has to do with this purity of his own path. The second one that I want to drive home uh, is that there is a, uh, a cleaning up of the practices. Now, the practices, if you look at verse 3 and following, you're going to see how it unfolds. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he starts to look at what his forefathers did. He looked at David and Solomon, but it's particularly of David, and he begins to purge Judah, the southern kingdom, of these high places. And then it lists all these fascinating names. I don't want to read them again. There are five different evil things that are in their path. There are five things that have five high places that have become acceptable. Now, if I were to make this application to you today, can you list five things that are acceptable in our culture today that, were, that are wrong? Can you list ten? Now, the question is, are you going to be quick to say, well, that's everybody else's problem? How many of them do you have in your own home? How many of them are a part of your own pattern that you've accepted? This is a part of our culture. This is normal. You've all heard the little white lie, you know, I'm not home on the telephone. We all justify all of these behaviors because they're normal. I want to be able to tell you that as Josiah grows up and he's walking with the Lord, these things that had been acceptable are no longer seen as acceptable. And even though he doesn't have a word from God on all of this stuff, he starts purging them. He says, I've got to get rid of them. I've got to take it out. And if you look at the extremes of what he does to take them out, if they're metal, he melts it down and he gets it into powder. If it's wood, he burns it up so that there's nothing left but ash. And on top of that, if there was people that had had these fancy graves, these bones where they had elaborate stuff, he went ahead and dug up those bones and burned them so that there was this whole pile of yuck and he sprinkled it all around and he said, this is all it's worth. 
And what was he trying to do? He was trying to come clean in 615. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of all the things that break the first commandment. You know the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you have any gods before him, I'm telling you it's time to purge them. It's time to melt them down, to burn them up, to eradicate them. And if you've already thought of what they are in your life, it'll even be harder on you if you're not going to come clean and you're going to hide them. I want to stay and do what I want to do. And I don't care. You don't have to know what's in my heart. I'll just come to church on Sunday and I'll look good. But the rest of the week, I'll hide so that you don't see me. I'm glad that didn't knock that over. <laughs> when everything's done in the light, you've got to be careful what you do. <laughs> As we were taught growing up, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Oh, be careful little hands what you do. Oh, be careful little tongue what you say. For there's a father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful. Now, this message sounds so much like a work sermon. If you will just come clean, if you will just purge those idols, you will have a wonderful life. Where's the gospel in that? I want to be able to tell you that the gospel comes in the third point. It's not just in the pathway and it's not just in the process, but it's in the Passover. It's in the passions. Now, those two go together in this text. Because if you look down in verse 14 in your Bible text, which we haven't read yet, while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. And he answered this Hilkiah, he answered and said to Shapen, the secretary, I have found the Bible, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. By the way, isn't that kind of sad? (laughs) They're in the church and they finally discovered a Bible in the church. If, you're, if you've ever been in a church where they don't use the Bible, you know how sad that is. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servant. They are doing, verse 17, they emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and they given it to the hand of the overseers and workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And so he read, it from, he read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the Bible, what did he do? I'm looking at verse 19. He was visibly changed. The word of God has been a famine in this land. They haven't had their Bible. I mean, he's been living a long time. He's even been trying to seek the Lord's will. He's hearing the stories about his great-grandfather and stuff, but they're not reading from their Bibles. It's amazing that he even figured out that he needed to purge the idols away. But when he got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when he read through the story and he saw the powerful God who not only created everything and called Abraham out of the land of Chaldean and how God humbled his people in Egypt and then brought them out with a powerful hand and gave them the Ten Commandments and marched them through the the 38 years of wandering to give them the promised land... He read all this and he said, oh no, that God is for real. That God is holy. 
And then he discovers that that God wants to have fellowship. When you come clean, he says, you can't save yourself. You can try to clean up your act. You can try to live in the light. You can try to take off your masks. But it's never going to be good enough because people will make fun of you. People will mock you. People will keep their distance from you if you confess your sins. People will judge you. Imagine that. That's why you hear so much today. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. We're all in the business of discerning. We're supposed to have a discerning eye, and we're supposed to look first in the mirror before we look anywhere else. And pull what out of our own eye? The beam before we deal with the splinter with our neighbors. We've got the problem. We're the ones that are wearing masks. We're the ones that are hiding. We're the ones that haven't come clean, whether it's 615 or 20 or BC or 2015 AD. Ponder this for a moment. What would it look like if you came clean at the Passover? Because, and I'm going to explain it next week as we come together. I want to show you the big picture. But I just want you to know that when the word of God was brought forward, all of a sudden they said, we need, we need an atonement. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our personal choices. It's not even about cleaning up around our surroundings. It's about forgiveness. And the Passover was a powerful thing. It was huge. When Josiah figured it out, he had already rent his clothes because he said, this is serious stuff. People need to get right with God. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? To quote from Mark. Josiah gets it. Do you? And the Passover was set before them. And in the Passover in their day, when they came to the church, they had to have an animal. And that animal didn't go home with them. That animal represented them. The wages of sin is death. And so the animal took the death on behalf of its person who brought it. And that Passover was when I see the blood, the wrath of God will pass over you. I want to tell you today that there's no more blood in this church. We have the blood red candle to point that Jesus' blood paid it all. He, on the night of that Passover in Jerusalem, on that day, he said, I am the bread. I am the cup. I am the Passover lamb. John the baptizer identified him right from the beginning. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that, on that last communion service, in the upper room there in Jerusalem, I hope to take our crew there. Jesus said, in a matter of hours, this lamb is going to pay for your sins so that the wrath of God can pass over you and the grace of God can flood your soul. Does this make sense? See, coming clean is when you stop pretending that you can save yourself, that you can stop pretending that you can fix things by putting on an image. Coming clean is dethroning the idols that you have erected, not somebody else. You can't blame your mom and dad for your own idols. You can't blame your spouse and you can't blame your kids. If you have idols, they're because your heart is an idol factory, as John Calvin taught. It's what scripture teaches. The lust for whatever it is, for popularity, for power, for convenience, for comfort, control. 
whatever it is that's driving you away from the cross, I want to encourage you, purge that out of your life. And in the new year, come clean. Come clean. When you come to the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart, all that was hidden there, rolled away. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we come to the Lord's table today, as the elders are getting ready to come, uh, and, and as they do come down, oh, Lord, I pray that you might help us to search our own heart. I know the Apostle Paul said when they came to the communion table in Corinth, he told them that they ought to examine themselves. That wasn't a plural examination. That was an individual. To search our own hearts and see if there be wicked ways within us. Oh, Lord, I know that as I look at Josiah, he lived in a time when when so many sins were acceptable. His dad had actually perfected some extra sins. His grandfather had done, had set up wrongdoing, so much so that it was going to be the undoing of God's people. God could not turn a blind eye to it. Oh, Lord, I thank you that there is hope for us when we come clean, that we are not going to be mocked, we're not going to be trampled upon, we're not going to be turned away. For as even in the sexual integrity ministry, as we confess our sins. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us, even to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to come clean, just like King David did in Psalm 51. After this man who had a heart after God's own heart was seduced with adultery after looking at a beautiful woman, that modern-day porn for him, which wasn't on a computer, it was from his housetop. And he yielded to it, hid it, and it ended up leading him to murder and disrespect. And it was in that confession in Psalm 51 where he realizes, he says, Oh, Lord, clean me up. Restore unto me the joy that I have with you in salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Oh, Lord, as we come to the table, I pray that it will be a refreshment to our souls. In Jesus' name. The ushers would come forward. I do want to remind you that this table is a table not for perfect people. This is a table for forgiven people, for those who have come clean. Now, to what degree have you come clean? I'm not the thought police. I never want to be. I could never handle it. But you and the Lord, he knows. He knows what you've been thinking about. He knows the devices that you are contemplating, the things that you've hidden. I want to tell you that the best way to enter the new year is to be delivered from those burdens. In the old Pilgrim's Progress, the illustration, he left the city of man's soul and he made his journey to the cross. And when he got to the cross, what happened? The burden was left there. Come clean. Leave the burden there. Come and partake, for we find life here at the table. Let me pray to set apart these elements. Oh, Lord, I thank you.